Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Josh Chambers, currently the Director of Creative Design and Branding for Texas A&M Men's Basketball. Coach, how are you doing? Coach Kaplan, how are we? I'm doing all right, man. How about you? Doing well, man. Just trying to just trying to win the weight, you know? Just trying yeah, to no doubt. Get through this thing. Coach, give our listeners a uh, brief introduction bio about yourself. Sure. Um, 28 years old. I uh, grew up a military brat. My dad was Army, Army Ranger, so we moved around quite a bit. But um, towards the end of his career, we were uh, stationed at the Pentagon. So did most of my uh, my middle school and high school uh, tenure at a, a school in Northern Virginia, um, Graduated and wanted to go to Virginia Tech, but wasn't smart enough to get in. So I, uh, I uh, got. I went to the, the only school I did get into, which was VCU. Um, spent two years at VCU. Uh, met some of my best friends uh, who will be in my wedding. Uh, ended up um, transferring to Virginia Tech uh, to kind of fulfill a, a dream of mine um, to be a Hokie. Um, and uh, it was right around that time. My brother was actually a manager at VCU, so I was able to see him work. And that was the year that uh, they went to the Final Four. Um, and I think I, I, I fell in love with the mystique of being a manager and being a part of a team and the camaraderie. Um, and when I was transferring to Virginia Tech, I was hell-bent on uh, working for the men's basketball team there. Uh, so I reached out to the coaching staff and uh, – kind of bothered them enough to where they gave me a tryout during camp season um, and was able to work a couple camps. And um, long story short, ended up getting on staff there as a, as a student manager. Um, was there for two years, one year under uh, Coach James Johnson and then one year under uh, Buzz Williams, uh, who inherited me as a manager as he made his uh, trip down from Marquette to Virginia Tech. Um, graduated. I uh, was able to get a job with uh, Nike working for the great uh, Hall of Fame coach and uh, mentor, uh, George Raveling. And uh, after a year and a half of working for Coach Rav, uh, Coach Williams, I was blessed enough for Coach Williams to call me and offer me a spot full time on his staff uh, back at Virginia Tech. Uh, so that was in 2016. So I did uh, three years on Coach Williams staff in Virginia Tech as uh, the director of branding there, um, which is just a fancy way to say I was the graphics guy. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, loved every day. It was great to be back working for my alma mater. And then uh, obviously Coach Williams had a chance for him to go back home and um, was lucky enough for him to take me with him down here to Texas and and Aggieland and and, uh, the great school of uh, Texas A&M. So been uh been at Texas Anna for just over a year now, but that's kind of the the Sparknotes version of my uh of my life there. Oh, that's awesome, Coach. Uh, and just for the record, I didn't get into uh, VCU or Virginia Tech. Uh, not because <laughs> I didn't get accepted, but I knew I wouldn't have, so I went to High Point. So. <laughs> you had, you had a little bit more wisdom than me. You saved you saved money on the application. I I was just throwing money away, like hoping maybe they they'd slide my uh, acceptance in the wrong pile or. Or something would go wrong, and they'd they'd have to just admit me by accident or something like that. But you you saved a little <laughs> you saved a little dough there. Yeah, I guess uh, saved a little bit of dough there, and then uh, <laughs> overpaid for the uh, the tuition. 
Oh, uh, that's all. Right. That's all right. You, hey, you, you're blowing up now, so it, it, it all worked out. Oh man. So you said you uh, you went to school in Northern Virginia, uh, South County. Yes, sir. And uh, it was before I was coaching there. What clubs and activities were you involved with uh, while you were in high school? Man, not a, not enough. Um, I was very uh, – I wasn't a good athlete as much as, you know, 16, 17-year-old version of myself would have liked to believe um, that the coaches were against me, and that's why I, w- I didn't make any of the – the, the teams or uh, tryouts that I that I participated in, um, so I was I was a big sports nerd. Um, I literally just wanted to consume sports content all day long, and that meant like I wanted to play basketball, I wanted to play football. But when you're not athletic, that those two things don't really match up. So I, I kind of um, I I did like you know typical Deca and like uh, some other student leadership type deals where it was you know go for an hour after school every Wednesday, uh, but was never really passionate about anything. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really, as, as kind of my high school career started, I didn't really have time for much. Um, my dad, uh, was diagnosed with ALS, um, my freshman year and, uh, basically kind of had to immediately after I got off the bus from school, had to go inside and, and help, uh, help my mom kind of do, um, caretaking for him for most of my, uh, for most of my high school tenure. So I really didn't have time to even, you know, discover what, uh, what I would be interested in outside of sports. You know, I grew up in a sports family with three brothers and, and one sister, and we were all uber competitive and, and, you know, most of them are Redskins fans and, and you know, living in, in the nation's capital, um, you know, bled, bled, uh, you know, burgundy and gold and, uh, and, you know, was around football and, and the wizards and basketball and, and, and the nationals and baseball and all of these different sports. And my dad was a huge sports junkie. So I really just consumed a lot of that on my own um, and, and didn't really didn't really partake in, in too much uh, clubs or extracurricular activities. When I was cut from the, the basketball team and I, I got cut quite often, it kind of put me into a, uh, a depression that I just kind of avoided, avoided uh, trying other things and just uh, kind of focused on on, uh, you know, helping my mom and obviously, you know, just just my passion for sports in general. Yeah, no, I mean, you guys definitely had your hands full. Talk about what it was like, uh, you know, having the effect of a loved one, your best friend, your father, uh, having ALS, especially you know during your high school years. Yeah, good, good question. Thanks for asking. I uh, when I originally, you know, was in, introduced to ALS um, or Lou Gehrig's disease, I didn't, I had never heard of it before, so it was all new to me, and I was, I was still kind of you know, a young kid and didn't understand, you know, how things worked or, you know, what ALS was or what, you know, terminal meant or no cure. Um, so I remember vividly, you know, um, you know, seeing my dad, the progress of it, the disease on his body and, and the stages that he went through from, you know, muscle spasms while he was driving to, you know, had to, had to be, had to walk around with a walker and then, you know, subjected to the, the wheelchair. And then, um, can't, you know, really can't move at all and had to stay in the bed. So I remember all of those stages, um, pretty vividly and, and, you know, like they were, you know, yesterday. Um, the one thing, you know, I will say is I remember the effect it had on my mom and, and, you know, as bad as ALS is, is a disease and, you know, it's a neurological disease that pretty much eats away at your, your muscles. Um, your, your, your brain is not connecting with your, your muscles and you can't, you can't, uh, you can't move, um, you can't work out, you can't, 
Um, really can't do much of anything after after an extended period of time. Um, so you suffer a lot of atrophy and you lose your strength and eventually you're, 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 you know, you're just dead weight. Um, but your brain stays intact, obviously. So, um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's almost like a prisoner disease where you're stuck in your own body. Um, and as awful as it was to, you know, watch that happen to my dad, to see the effect it had on my mom was even more profound. Um, cause you know, this is the love of her life. Um, you know, the army ranger who, you know, my brothers and I considered Superman, um, and he was, he was affected, you know, in ways he couldn't control and, and was, you know, his body was deteriorating right in front of her eyes. And she, you know, it's kind of a, a, a controversial subject. Um, so ALS, there's no way to prove where you got it from. So like, you know, a large portion of the population thinks that you can get it from serving in the military. There's a, there's a direct correlation to people who served and people who have Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, but it's not considered an act of combat. Uh, disease or an act of combat uh, injury. So the, the the type of insurance that you get from ALS, if you're in the army and you're forced to retire from that is different than, you know, the type of insurance that you get from an act of combat uh, injury. So she didn't get, uh, we didn't get all the benefits that, uh, you know, we, we probably needed. Um, so so you, you guys didn't have an in-home aid or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, so we didn't. It was really just my mom and my, my mom and I. And I know you know my brother Brandon. He he had a little bit of a rougher upbringing, um, or responded differently to all of this, and wasn't living at our house at the time. Um, and then Jay, my oldest brother, was in college at at South South Carolina at the time. And then my younger brother and sister were, you know, they helped where they could, but they were, you know, even more ignorant to it all than I was. So I was kind of in that Goldilocks zone where I could help my mom and was mature enough to understand what was going on. Um, we, in, you know, we had help, but it wasn't, it wasn't, around the, you know, for what wasn't around the clock job, we didn't have an around the clock staff. So it kind of became a mom and I, um, and we did, you know, the best we could. And we, and you almost, you know, that, that was, that was the hardest part was watching her, you know, become a slave to the disease. And so it's, it's not, and it's not a disease that just affects that person. Like it extends to the network of family and the people around them that love them and, and has emotional effects that I think still affect my mom and I to this day. Talk about what it was like to lose your father a month before graduation, uh, your high school graduation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, man. I look back at that time and, and I don't think I processed it all at that, at that moment. Um, and I think that's partly because I was too young to understand what death was, you know, and it's, it's, you know, maybe you never fully understand and I don't want to get too, you know, morbid or deep on this this deal, but um, I remember him passing and, and there being a rush of emotions, and, and it obviously crushed me. And then I remember the next day wanting to go to school and like just get, get back to normal. And um, and and then you know, years down the road, you know, you have these days where it's like a little bit of that that you know, that happened, that emotion that happened on that same day comes back and hits you again. And it's like, it's almost like I, I, I stopped it for a, a brief period and tried to just get through, um, the best way I could. Um, but what I will say is it was, you know, he was, you know, for, for someone who's not, doesn't have all the people skills in the world. Um, he was, he was my best friend and that was, that was really tough to, for him not to be there that day. Uh, but I'm I'm eternally grateful for all the lessons that he taught me uh, 
uh, as, a, as a man and, and, you know, as a part of fatherhood. And then not only that, but what I had learned from him um, during, you know, his progression with ALS. I mean, he was, he was the toughest dude I've ever met and how he dealt with that mentally and, and, uh, and was able to keep a good spirit, you know, through the darkest days. And then not only that, um, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm here working for coach Williams and, 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 you know, and getting up every morning, absolutely blessed and, and, and thankful for, for my position. I don't think I get to this point without what happened to him and, and, um, and, you know, the lessons that I learned from the disease kind of outside of, of, uh, you know, picking up, you know, sports design while I was, or Photoshop and design while I was, you know, taking care of my dad at his bedside. Um, outside of that, you know, just strictly, you know, learning that skill and it being able to connect me with, you know, Buzz and, and, you know, the, uh, Nike connection and the jobs that I've had over the course of my career that involved design. Uh, I was able to learn patience, you know, uh, with a person that's, you know, obviously restricted by movement and, and maybe can't talk as fast as you'd like, or, can't move as fast as you'd like. And you want, and in a world where we want everything right now, I was able to learn that, you know, maybe it's not as important to get, to get, uh, information, um, as soon as you want it, or, you know, as soon as your selfish, uh, motives and, and, and drives will, will want you to kind of desire it. Um, and I, I was able to learn, you know, take a step back and think about what's going on in this person's life. Like, I mean, I can remember getting frustrated numerous times with, with, you know, my mom and my dad, because, I didn't get what I wanted right then. And then, you know, you you see it through a different uh, lens when my dad was trying to tell me something, but couldn't get the words out. And I think the patience that I got from that um, has paid dividends. And then uh, getting the job done, um, you know, you can cut corners in a lot of areas in your life and you think there's no repercussions. And like, if you're, if you're mowing the lawn and you, and you don't want to, you know, get that one area in the backyard that you don't think anyone's going to see that's, that's the same as, you know, when I'm feeding my dad and, you know, I want to go play Xbox and he's got three bites left. Like, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I want to rush to do something else. Like the difference is like in some areas of that, you know, your dad or whoever it is doesn't eat, you know? So like cutting corners has always been um, something that I'm grateful that, you know, he was able to teach me. Like I was a student manager and I think a lot of uh, the reason I could, you know, find joy in, in, you know, the suck jobs of student managing, which I'm, I know you're well aware of, uh, the laundry and the picking up after players and rebounding and all that stuff. Um, you know, the, the ability to, to get, get the job done. And then, and then the last thing is, uh, resetting my expectations, man. Like, um, you know, obviously that was a very traumatic, um, thing that happened to my family. Uh, we were all shell shocked. We didn't know what was coming. We didn't know. I didn't, I can't say I knew my dad was going to pass away. Um, when he, when I originally learned about ALS, uh, but I, but I learned how to reset my expectations. Um, so basically start from ground zero. Like I could have, I could have thrown a fit and, you know, cried and, and been, you know, uh, as, as, uh, rebellious as I wanted to be. And no one would have blamed me because that's obviously a hard thing to deal with, but that doesn't necessarily help the situation. And I think over the years, and I've gotten lucky to work for a coach and a leader that, you know, has a similar type of, uh, work ethic and, and as, and upbringing and that has made him the way he has, he is, uh, I've been able to be put in situations where there's a lot of stress at a lot of times, uh, or at, at one time and been able to reset my expectation level and not let it fluster me and get to me. Um, but it's been, yeah, it was, it was hard, but I'm, I'm eternally grateful for, for all the lessons that I've learned, not just with, you know, 
the design features and stuff that I learned from being at his bedside, but also from the lessons that I learned from, you know, uh, just seeing and watching and observing and, and living through that. That's deep stuff, man. So you talk about Photoshop design. Uh, did you find that in sports kind of a, just an outlet to take your mind off things? Yeah, I did. I did. That's 100 percent the right the right, the way I put it. Um, I mentioned it was bedside care. So, you know, eventually my dad got to a point where he was in a wheelchair and propped in. It was a souped out wheelchair, but it was propped in front of the TV. And we were watching um, throughout this long summer days. We would just watch, you know, ESPN reruns, you know, NBA finals uh, highlights, uh, whatever they were showing on SportsCenter, NASCAR. Uh, you know, this was 2000, you know, this was 2008, 2009. So they, this was when ESPN was, you know, they had their 9am or they had their 6am show and they were rerunning that until 9am and then, and then they were playing something different and then rerunning that until 2pm. And then, and then everyone would get home from school and that's when the new content would come on. So it was a lot of like, we were watching the same thing over and over again. We knew what was going to happen, but you know, me and my dad love sports. Um, but you know, it, it became uh, a little bit mundane and boring and, and I was a huge, you know, sports fan and wanted to, uh, wanted to, you know, find different avenues and, and the internet was a, it was a big deal back then. I know it's become a, a big part of everyone's life. Uh, but I was always on the internet. I was on the forums. I wanted to be, I wanted to d- discuss sports. You know, I wanted to be on the podcast and like just talk sports. And that was, uh, that was my, almost my escape and my release was, just being able to communicate with other people about, you know, the different sports teams and players and, and, uh, and, you know, is this team better than that team? Is this player, you know, the draft, like all of these different things. And the more I engaged in these discussions on these forums, uh, the more I was open to this world of sports design, which was just a subsection of the internet that, you know, no one knew about. Like I was the only one in my school that was doing it. Um, And, and I remember, you know, finding it and thinking like these these guys are just making like wallpapers for your desktop and and at this point it was like flip phones so you didn't really need a a, a screen uh uh wallpaper um uh, but the you know stuff like that they were just making stuff you could put like signatures you could put in your email and i remember being super interested and so i i i couldn't afford photoshop so i downloaded um my first copy legally under an alias uh, and just started playing around with it and just started watching uh, kind of videos on how to use it, uh, trying to pick up different things, uh, asking different designers that were, you know, in these different sports forums for my favorite teams, trying to find a mentor when really there were like, it was such a new kind of uh, industry. There really weren't that many. Everyone was just trying to kind of figure it out um, and just kind of pass the time that way. And it was a good way for me to really find out what I was passionate about um, in, in, a, in a maybe not ideal environment uh, but gave me a lot of good, a lot of good lessons and a lot of good experiences that I wouldn't have gotten if I were, you know, if my dad were completely healthy, I would have never stumbled upon that. And it would have never changed my life like this and been able to kind of provide for, uh, for me down the line, this, uh, you know, you know, now 10 to 12 years later. Gotcha. So you go to VCU, um, you mentioned, you know, weren't going to be able to get into Virginia tech, didn't get in Virginia tech. Um, what was your involvement with the basketball team while your brother was a manager there? Did you contemplate being a manager as well? I did, but I was very, um, I, I was very immature at the time. I wanted to, I wanted to live the college life and, um, he, you know, he was a manager and, and I, you know, visited him a couple of times and been around him to see like, 
it wasn't a glorious job. Uh, but, you know, my brother, he's a hoops junkie. He loved it. And like, so I wasn't, I was always intrigued, but I didn't, I didn't fully kind of uh, fall in love with it until that I saw that final four run and, and, and just how, how much he lit up and how, you know, how much of a, a, a residual impact that had on his life. And obviously it, it, it jumpstarted his career where he's going to be, you know, he'll be an assistant coach, head coach at a power five school, no doubt in my mind in the next few years. Um, and, and like, it, it, it's awesome to see, like, you know, I saw it at the, the core of it when he was, you know, you know, a manager for Shaka Smart and Anthony Grant and, and, uh, and, you know, VCU had success prior to that final four run. And he was a part of that. And that was, that was kind of the alert to me. Um, and I was, you know, I was, I was at VCU for my freshman year and my sophomore year. And um, when I transferred, that's when I, I kind of figured, you know, figured it out and, and, and wanted and fell in love with the idea and, and wasn't gonna, uh, wasn't gonna kind of take, take no for an answer. The other part of it was, I uh, transferred to Virginia Tech and I was in the, the Corps of Cadets, which is like their ROTC program. Um, and it's very militaristic uh, living um, and kind of being in that environment. Uh, your, your entire day is structured. Um, so Virginia Tech and, and Texas A&M, ironically, are the only two schools that where the, the ROTC programs are ingrained in within the school. So, you know, it's a it's a senior military institution, but they they intermingle with the civilian students. Um, so like I was living alongside uh, John Doe's regular student, but I was on such a regimented schedule where like wake up at 530 PT, um, go to go to drill, um, go back and grab a quick breakfast before, uh, you know, morning formation and then class till two and then, you know, meetings with our commanding officer at three and then PT in the afternoon. Um, and then, you know, uh, com uh, company meetings in, in the, the late evening and then you get a three minute shower and then it's off to bed. Like that was my day. And there was very little time to uh, uh, kind of give away uh, or lounge around or be leisurely. Um, you were on a very strict schedule, especially as a as a first year student at Virginia Tech in the Corps of Cadets. Um, so when, when I finally got out of that, um, just realized it wasn't for me. Um, it's almost like my brain was rewired and I couldn't. I couldn't uh, I couldn't just sit around and do nothing. I got anxiety from just uh, doing the things that I used to do. Like, you know, if I want to just watch TV for three hours, that would give me a major anxiety attack. Um, so I was sitting in my dorm room and just trying to kind of figure out what it is I can do. That's not necessarily the military path, which isn't for me, but that will utilize my time and economize my time and energy um, in the best way possible. And, you know, thinking back to my brother and, the, you know, obviously the passion he had for basketball and, and the joy I saw him kind of, uh, gain from being a part of that team. Um, I really wanted that. And I, I thought that was a demanding job that could utilize my time and, uh, give me some of those rewards and, and, you know, the, the fruits of my labor that, that I saw him get. And so that was the, the main reasoning. Um, it was, it was kind of a, a bunch of different factors all, all bundled into one, but I will say, I think the, the military uh, lifestyle for that six month period was a big, big impact on uh, my behaviors after that to lead me to wanting to become a student manager. How do you go about becoming a student manager at Virginia Tech? Did you have people make calls on your behalf? Did you show them that you can fill up water bottles and do laundry? How, how do you go about doing that at Virginia Tech? Yeah, I, I probably didn't do it the right way. Um, 
I, I uh, so I got I got out of the core and I was sitting around and I looked at their, uh, you know, their Hokie Sports staff page and found out who the ops person was. And I had been coached up by my brother on how he became a manager was he just emailed the ops guy. So I figured, well, that's a good way to start. Um, so I sent him an email uh, probably January. They were obviously in season. And then I, uh, it was Andy Moore at the time, uh, who since went to, to Air Force, um, who gave me my, my chance. Um, side note, he actually, uh, he recruited, I think, uh, Shaka Smart to Kenyon uh, when he was, uh, when he was earlier in his career. But um, yeah, he, he gave me my chance. I, I emailed him in uh, January. He didn't respond. February, he didn't respond. They're obviously in conference play. They have a lot of things going on. I'm the knucklehead 21-year-old that thinks I, the world revolves around me. So I emailed him again in March, didn't respond, <laughs> emailed him again in, uh, in April. And finally, he responded and said, you know, obviously, we've been very uh, backed up. We don't have a spot for you right now, but, um, but potentially down the line, we'll keep your, we'll keep your name in, in, in the file. And then, uh, like I said, I was a knucklehead. So I emailed him again. Uh, I think it was probably early May. Um, and he did, he did say that they had a, they had a manager spot open. Uh, but they really just needed help working camp. So it would be a kind of a two for one, come work our, our, our kids camp. Um, and you can, uh, you can try out and we'll evaluate you and see if you're, you know, cut out to be a, a student manager. Um, so I went down there and I, and I worked camp in Blacksburg and, and, and to be honest, this was the first camp I'd ever gone to was the one I worked as my tryout for Virginia tech. Um, that's probably why I wasn't a good player. I never, I never invested any time or money into my development, but, that was all new to me. So I got there not expecting what, like, I didn't know if they were going to have me coaching like the layup lines or, or doing, you know, cone drills or, or ball handling stuff. I had no idea what I was getting into. Uh, but I worked camp and kind of just observed what other camp coaches were doing um, and tried to mimic them um, and did, I guess, a, a well enough job to where, uh, to where coach Moore offered me a position as a student manager um, that following year. And that's kind of, that's kind of how it all started. And it's, and it's unique. Cause like, I remember going to practice, like I, I remember my first uh, day on campus at Virginia tech and I loved basketball and loved the Hokies and going into castle Coliseum and, and they were practicing. And I thought it was so cool that I could like walk in there and watch, watch them practice. And then I remember like the first time I was in there, I got kicked out and I was like, I was like, what can I, like, what can I do so that I can be on the court? like be a part of that and kind of just uh, try to take the steps necessary. And like I said, maybe there weren't the, the right ones, but um, take the steps necessary to get down there on the court. And like, we're obviously not there anymore, but it was, it was so cool to me uh, when I was working for uh, coach Williams uh, as a full-time staff member to be on that court in castle um, and look up at those same bleachers where I was sitting, you know, years prior and, and, and remember uh, Will Guype, who's now um, at Richmond on staff. I uh, remember him walking up there and telling me, hey, man, you got to leave. Like, you're not allowed to be here. And now, like, years later, uh, being on the court and being a part of it was just awesome. That's uh, it's kind of funny, man, because when I was at High Point, I'll never forget, uh, I had the same thing happen to me. I kind of stopped in. It was after UNC Charlotte beat High Point. It was the season opener. And I, I had been able to go to practice, but the guy comes up to me and says, hey, man. <laughs> uh, coach says you have yeah. to go. And that guy offered me a job like five, six years down the it's, road. It's weird, man. It's like a fraternity. Like you, 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 everyone does it. Like you obviously can't have just like fans watching, um, watching your practices. Uh, but like it's and it's always like a hey, who wants to go tell this guy they have to leave? And like 
I remember being that guy, but I also I've kicked now numerous people out of our practices and like I still like some of them still connected with to this day and like some of the times like I'm like, dang man, I wish I would have let that guy stay. Like he obviously uh <laughs> he obviously could have benefited uh our team and myself in a lot of ways, but like to make those connections through that I think is is awesome. And like obviously Will Will guy kicked me out originally and we ended up working together, which was cool. And he's uh he's a great coach and great guy and, and he's had a ton of success. But just to see those stories kind of come full circle is it's, it's a, it's a, it's a unique thing that happens, uh, you know, obviously in the sport, but um, I love the stories behind that, that kind of, that kind of make it interesting. Oh, no question. So what's a typical day like in the life of a ACC student manager? Huh? That's probably, that's probably a, uh, that's probably a deeper question than, than uh, you wanted to ask. Cause there's an ACC manager and then I, I would say that with, you know, complete uh, seriousness, there's a Buzz Williams manager. And those two things are completely different. Um, Coach Williams is very, 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 very hard on his managers. Uh, obviously, he was a student manager. Um, so he he treats them as if they're, you know, the star player. Like, he, he, he rides his managers just as hard as he rides his players. Um, and that's, you know, you, you may not notice it in, in the moment, but that's for the best for your life. And um it's uh it's a different deal man it's like i i worked for james johnson my first year as a manager and uh and i love jj like and he's gone on to have success obviously after virginia tech um and he gave him my chance and he did things one way and coach williams did things a different way and and not saying either way is right or wrong um but i think i definitely uh am grateful that i got to experience both sides and and um basically uh the, the, the main things, you know, with all, all managers, you know, the laundry, the, the early morning workouts, the rebounding. Sorry about that, coach. Um, uh, the early morning kind of workouts, all that stays, uh, stays kind of uniform across, across all of, uh, you know, student managers across the country. I will say that um, with Coach Williams' staff and how he operates in his culture and because he expects the managers – and the uh, and the players and the assistants and the support staff, uh, we're all in this together. Um, you're held to a different level of standard. Um, and you know you've you've read and, and and met Coach Williams. You know he's a he's an early riser and late to leave guy. Um, so you kind of you kind of fall into that same track and you learn how to you learn how to um, work those long hours. And and it kind of goes back to my time you know taking care of my dad. Um, I was able to almost uh, morph more easily and, and, and be more flexible toward that, that level of thinking. Uh, but it was, you know, it was wake up early. He's, he likes to do his stuff in the morning. So workouts in the morning, um, there's typical, you know, travel duties, laundry duties, um, different, uh, different levels of player management. Um, and obviously coaching staff needs, um, be a runner, go get lunch for someone, coffee, like all of those things that, you know, that go into, uh, any industry, um, and then, I, and then, I mean, obviously I would say that, you know, taking care of the players has a, has a priority. My, uh, my, my experience is a little different. Um, cause I did, you know, I, I remember when coach Williams walked into the office one day and asked if anyone knew how to use Photoshop. Um, and I was the only one who raised my hand. So I was a student manager, but I was also kind of his personal, um, design guy, so to speak. Um, so he was giving me all these requests you know, he's big on the quote cards and, and he was ahead of the, the curve with the social media and was building his brand before any of these other coaches were doing it. Um, and I was the one kind of being lucky enough to create all that stuff for him. And I wasn't any good back then, but 
you know, it, I, he, he didn't know the difference. So I was able to kind of build myself a niche. And that became a large part of my duties as a student manager was how can I brand Coach Williams and the Virginia Tech basketball program and put us in the best light to get recruits and um, appeal to donors and, and coaches and fans and paint uh, paint our paint our program in the best in the best way possible. Um, and he gave me that chance. And um, so I would say I did a lot of the typical manager stuff, but uh, it, it, at some point it shifted more towards the design stuff and the the graphics and the uh, videography and photography and, and all the different things that go into um, recruiting that you know of today. Okay. Um, so I, I read that in 2014, you donated your athletic scholarship that you received as a manager to the ALS Association in honor of your, yes, your father. How did your family react? And have you always been a philanthropist, you know, at heart? No, I wouldn't say that. Um, it was something we, it was the first year that we, we had gotten, I had gotten a athletic scholarship. Um, I was, I didn't get one with Coach Johnson's staff, and then Coach Williams came in, and I was a senior, so I was, you know, kind of in line to get one. I wouldn't say that I earned it or anything like that. Um, but my dad was military, so in Virginia they have the GI Bill. Um, so I was lucky enough to not have too many expenses um, for my for my uh, college uh, academics as it was. Um, so when uh, Coach Wolf. Lyle Wolf, who's now with us as an assistant here, he was the uh, ops at Virginia Tech. When he told me uh, I was going to get money, well, I really didn't like feel like I needed it or I'd earned it or anything like that. Um, and I wanted to do something to honor my dad. Um, and I thought, you know, there was there was a chapter in uh, Roanoke. Um, so I reached out to them and kind of set the whole deal up. Um, and, and, you know, it was it was something at the time that, you know, I just wanted to make a difference. Um, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't say I was a, a philanthropist by any means. Uh, it was just something I was passionate about. Like I'd done a, a walk to remember throughout my high school, kind of support my dad, but I hadn't really done anything since then. Um, and I wanted to get back into that and get back into this, you know, into the scene and, and try and make a difference or help in any way I could. Um, and I remember going to meet with the director of the chapter in Roanoke of the ALS association. Um, and she introduced me to the, you know, people that they, um, are obviously in their community who have ALS and, and it kind of goes back to what I said, like it struck a chord to see, you know, people struggling like that. But the one thing I'll never forget is their like family members who are now their caretakers and just seeing how exhausted they look and like how much like of a burden it's been on them and not that they would have it any other way, but like, you just want to help those people. And, and so I wouldn't, I would by no means say that, you know, um, I'm a, I'm a philanthropist or, you know, did anything different than anyone else would have done, but it was, it was just a situation where, you know, free money had been given to me that I, that I could live without. And, uh, I just saw, uh, uh where it could be better used. Um, as far as I was an economics major, so I just saw a better, better uh, use of it than, you know, it going into my pocket or, or, uh, or paying for my, you know, my geometry or, you know, algebra class book or whatever, you know, classes I was taking at that point. Gotcha. So you earned your degree yes, in sir. economics. Um, what did you, did you think about trying to go to grad school? What, what were your plans? After yeah, I, wa I was, I wanted to be a GA, man. I wanted to, 
I wanted to be um, a coach, and that was the coach route. You know, Brandon, my brother, who's now at Texas Southern as an assistant coach, that's what he did. He was a GA at Misericordia in uh, Pennsylvania, um, and then he went and became an assistant uh, at a D3 school in, uh, in uh, Northern Virginia area. And, uh, and then, um, obviously, he became uh, went to Nevada and became an operations guy. I wanted to follow that same track. Like, I, want, I thought GA was the next step. I was a senior manager. I wanted to stay in sports. I thought I wanted to coach. Um, and that was the next thing for me to do. Um, and the more, you know, I was, you know, around Buzz, I knew in his culture and his staff and, and, and just living that, like his whole first year at Virginia Tech, uh, I learned so much. And I, and I wanted to be specifically, I wanted to be a GA for him. Um, and I wanted to work for him and I wanted to stay around him as much as I could. I just wanted to be a sponge and absorb all that I could with the, you know, the leadership and the culture and, and everything that goes into running a, a program and, and, and having people follow you. And, and, you know, if, if, if I wanted to coach, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be high energy and I wanted to demand a lot of the people and I wanted the people to trust me. Um, so that he kind of checked all those boxes for me. Um, so I wanted to be a GA for him. So I was working like hell to try and make that happen. Um, and I, and I was able to kind of build a relationship with him that, you know, I think was unique for, uh, for student managers. And I was closer than maybe he'd been with other managers. Um, and through him, I was able to meet, uh, coach Rav who, you know, had an illustrious coaching career. And then since went and worked for Nike and, um, you've been watching, I know you've been watching the last dance documentary. Like he, he served a big, uh, big part of the reason Jordan signed with uh, Nike instead of Adidas was, was Rav. Cause he coached him on that Olympic team and, and had that influence on him and, and, uh, and Jordan trusted him. And, and like, I was able to kind of, you know, just, just being, uh, associated with buzz. Um, I was able to meet Rav and he, and, you know, coach Williams really connected us and helped me, uh, build a re- relationship with coach. And that ended up, uh, in a full-time offer with him immediately upon graduation, um, to go out to Los Angeles and work for Nike and, uh, and, and learn from a different, uh, perspective, uh, outside of the, the, the lines of basketball outside of the, you know, the trenches that go on and, and the wars that go on in college basketball and see, to see it from an outsider perspective as a part of a, a marketing or, or branding or um, athletics company that's not involved in the, you know, the games um, and see the, see how they operate. Um, and, and I always figured I could go back to, uh, to coaching. You know, I always feel like I always figured I could get a GA job, but I couldn't pass up the opportunity um, to work for a hall of fame coach and really a hall of fame person. Like I can't say enough about uh, my time with coach Raveling and, and, and how he was and, and everything that I learned from him. Uh, but he's, he's like, he's without a doubt the best human I've ever met. Um, he has no, no ill intentions, no selfish, not a selfish bone in his body. Uh, he just wants to help people. And he says that. And, and a lot of the, a lot of the time, like people will think when someone says something like that, it's lip service, but I lived it, man. Like he, the first thing he said when he, the day he hired me was like, listen, you don't work for me. We're partners. Like, I don't ever want you to think of me as your boss. Uh, I want you to think of me as a resource that you can use. And, and, and he allowed me to kind of flourish and learn from him and, and do the things that I was passionate to do. And, and I really think going forward, um, it helped me realize what I really wanted to do wasn't coach. Um, I was stuck in this rut of thinking like, I want to, I want to be like Lyle or I want to be like Buzz. I want to be a coach. Like, but I didn't have any of those skills. And like, I was internally battling myself 
trying to figure out why am I not good at this? Why do, why can't I connect with the players? Why can't I teach them this drill X Y Z? What what why can't I do these things? And it's because that's not the way God made me. And I remember the most freeing kind of part of my career. Um, and I think Coach Rav played a big part in me figuring that out. And I think Coach Williams was always trying to help me figure that out. Was um, I was my niche and my my skill set is the design world, the branding, uh, the name, image, likeness, um, how to how to kind of uh, grow people's followings on social media through um, through design and through photography and videography. That that's that's what I was created to do, um, and it was so freeing to figure that out and, and realize like. I'm not, I'm, I don't have to be this guy that I saw my brother become because, and because that led to me becoming a manager. And then, and then I, I looked up to Lyle and, and Buzz and like, there's a lot of things that I've taken from all of those people that have been a, on the journey um, that I've used, you know, obviously to grow um, and become better, but I don't have to take necessarily everything. And because all of these people were coaches, even coach Raveling was a coach. Uh, but as, as good of a coach as he is, he's an even better creative thinker and, and, and his relationship skills are unparalleled. Um, so I was able to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with, in my time with coach Raveling and, and really freed me and freed my mind up and allowed me to kind of be at peace with my career path. Um, and, and I, and coach Williams, uh, offered me a job uh, after a year and a half working for coach Rav. And that was the hardest conversation I've ever had to have, uh, telling coach Rav I was going back. Um, but you know, he, he handled it. Like he, I mean, it worked out best for both parties cause he found someone who was way more talented than me to work under him. And, and I obviously got to start my, uh, career as a, as a, uh, you know, a, a branding guy for a high major school. Um, but he was, he, you know, he's still an olive branch for me. And, and that just speaks to kind of who he is. Like he, he wants to help people get to where they want to be. And ultimately he helped me do that. And I wish my time could have been longer with him. Um, but unfortunately we don't get to, we don't get to author it like that. Only, only God can kind of do that. And, and Buzz called and offered me a full-time job. So I was able to skip the GA route, uh, which was probably bad for my long-term uh, outlook, but uh, was able to jump that step and, and get, get going with him uh, immediately as a full-time staff member. So. Okay. So I was looking back and I saw that you had started your own college athletics recruiting company called yes, Won't Lose Designs. Did that, was that when you were still in yeah, college? So I had, uh, it was towards the end of my senior lose? year. Um, I knew I needed a job and, and I realized pretty quickly like how big this, uh, this like edits and, and graphics had become in recruiting. Um, so I knew there was a market and there. It was a, it was a, very, very liquid market. And there was no, there was no, uh, no one had kind of uh, worked their way into it and created a monopoly. It was wide open. And I knew I could, I could easily get um, schools to, you know, pay me uh, whatever, you know, the going rate was and create work for myself and create income if I needed to. Um, So that was, it was, it started as an idea, as a backup plan. If, if, if coach Williams wasn't going to hire me, I could do this. I could, uh, you know, I could get an apartment somewhere or move in back with my mom and do this and, and make, make money. Um, and then when coach Raveling hired me, um, he, I told him about the idea and he, he was very supportive of me still proceeding with that and launching that company while I was working with him. Um, so I was working with him and running this side deal and it worked out perfectly because Rav knows 
every college coach in the country. So he was connecting me with, you know, I worked, I did work for uh, Richmond and Virginia Tech and Cal and um, LMU, Loyola Marymount, um, Manhattan, uh, UNC, uh, Tennessee. Like I worked with all these different coaches just through my relationship with Rav and was able to kind of, through that, learn a lot about business that I wasn't aware of um, and, and really get experience um, not just, you know, being around Rav, but also like that real hands-on experience. Um, basically all I was doing was these head recruiters on these staffs were telling me what, what, who their top targets were. And I was just pumping out graphics for them. And it became like, almost like a, uh, you know, I figured out like if you, in, in the real world, like when you, when you have any product, you, you almost have to, uh, you have to pay to make the product and then you have to scale it somehow. So you have to sell, if you sell a hundred, you have to pay for a hundred different of that product. Well, when, in the virtual world with graphics and media and all that, I figured out pretty early on, I only have to make the product once I can make the, the design template and then I can sell that to 25 different schools at the same rate. So I was really learning how to economize my time and energy and make the most money out of it. Um, so I, I, you know, it was, it was, it was vital to kind of, me as a young adult um, who really thought he knew everything but didn't know everything, didn't know anything, um, to learn those kind of business hacks and, and was able to make a, a, you know, a pretty good side income while working for RAV. And obviously, like, living in Los Angeles isn't cheap. So it almost, like, it funded my ability to be around RAV and learn from him and all the people that, you know, he comes, he brushes shoulders with. Um, I was able to absorb all that wisdom and knowledge because I could, um, bring in that side income and, and afford to do it. So it was, it was, it was awesome, man. It was, I still have the first check, uh, Lavelle Moten wrote to me, um, that says the company name on there won't lose this design. Um, it's, it's got the NC central logo at the top and it's like, it's framed in my office and it's just, it's just a, it's just a cool kind of, you know, token that, that reminds me of, you know, if you want, you can, you can kind of do whatever you, you, you dream of doing and like, a year prior to that, I would have said I wanted to be a coach. And then, you know, obviously something clicks and I wanted to do this design thing. And if that doesn't happen, like that check never gets written. And it's just kind of a reminder that, you know, you, you control, you know, who you are or you're, who you are kind of controls what you're doing, not necessarily what you're doing is going to control who you are. Okay, so you didn't pull a Ricky Henderson. Like, you know, I still have check. To. This is the funny thing. Like, then, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Um, so I tried to deposit it. Like, I'm not going to say I wanted to save it. Like it was, it was a pretty good sum of money. Um, but I didn't have the LLC for my company name won't lose designs. So no one would take it. Like I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it cashed. I couldn't deposit it in my personal bank account. No one thought like that, that they could connect the dots. Like this kid is, is the owner of this company. And so like, I couldn't get anyone to take it. So I was, at some point I just gave up. Like I'm the worst with like all of that, like the logistical stuff, like, that's another reason I couldn't coach. I would never have made it as an ops. I can't do logistics like DMV banking, like all that stuff. I just, I just don't want to do it. So I, I just gave up at some point. And then, you know, years later I found it and got it framed. And I was like, I'm happy I didn't. Cause I think the, the value I get in seeing it is, is beyond uh, the monetary value that I would got and cashed in probably just like bought a pair of shoes or something. <laughs> I was going to say, it was probably before the, uh, the app on your phone. That yeah. You can no, check it, and, and like, as much as like, I like to say I'm a tech tech guy, I, I am very much like slow on that stuff. So I probably wouldn't have been able to figure it out anyway. So. 
No, I hear you, my man. So in 2016, you decided to return to Blacksbury after Buzz Williams offered you a job. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you took a significant yes, pay cut, right? And uh, it was kind of like I did to get back into co- well to get into yeah. coaching. Do you have any? I'll be honest. Coaching? I did at first. It was very very hard. Um, I was like I said, I was making a, a decent chunk with Rev, and and it was very that first year back with Coach Williams. It was very hard to readjust. And you're, it's a human nature to think about what did you give up and like more so the monetary value. Like I knew like Rav always used to say, don't make a decision based on money. And so more so that like I knew like a paycheck is a paycheck. I can get back to that amount. I was worried about what I gave up with my future with Coach Raveling. Um, and not only that, but on top of that was that, that he, you know, I was making more money there and take going into an unknown taking a, a significant pay cut, um, you know, going back to Blacksburg almost felt like a step backwards because I had been there before and moved on to another time zone. Uh, so it was all these emotions that really, really hit me hard that first year. And I was very resistant, you know, very resistant to to becoming a part of uh, coaches' culture and, and really uh, finding my niche and learning how to help in whatever way I could because I was, I was just, you know, bogged down by those emotions and it took, it took a a good amount of time, but I finally uh, figured it out. And, you know, I wasn't going to sulk anymore. I wasn't going to worry about the, what ifs. Um, I was going to kind of try and make the best of my situation um, and, and not act like I, I had all the answers, which I think too many times in my youth, I did think I had all the answers. Um, And I learned pretty quickly. I didn't. And, and that was the best thing for me is to, you know, reassess and and find that I had all these great minds like I swear uh coach Williams a lot of the staff that's you know was with him when I came back is still here today uh Jamie McNeely Devin Johnson Lyle Wolf um I swear there's there's multiple hall of famers on the staff and and you know I might not you know want to coach anymore but I do want to be the best version of myself I can be and I think if if I if I truly believe that you know some of these guys are going to have success as a head coach and leader I can learn stuff from them and being around them will help me. And, and that, that type of value that I'm getting from coach Williams and this staff and, and the people he hires and the players he recruits is, is just, it's exponentially more, more valuable than any amount of money I could have gotten or anything he could have offered. Um, and, and I wouldn't have had it either way, man. I needed, I needed to be humbled at that age. Uh, I, I did a poor job of managing my money when I was making a, a good amount. Um, so for, if I wouldn't have taken the job or if it, but, you know, coach Williams would have hired, offered me more money or someone else, XYZ company would have offered me a million dollars. I would have missed, I would have mismanaged it. And, uh, I needed to kind of, I needed to go back to where I was and, and recenter myself and learn the, the lessons that I learned from the people that I was around in that environment to get any, any, uh, any sense of responsibility. And I, I wouldn't have changed it for, for anything. So talk about your role and, and, you know, you said, yeah, okay, graphic design. I know that your role expanded. What additional responsibilities did you take on? Yeah, so as a manager, it was it was really just graphic design. That was it. I was just I was a machine like just pumping out graphics, um, quote cards, uh, Twitter graphics, Instagram for for Coach Williams in the program. When I came back, um, I think I had more of a role in recruiting. Now, by no means am I a recruiter. Um, but there was a, through, from that 
15, 16 month period of time when I was gone, social media have blown up. Um, kids wanted to, you know, be seen on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, um, and everyone needed, and really it was football happening at the time, but we were a little bit ahead. Everyone needed someone to bridge that gap on their staff. So, um, I was trying to, you know, grow our, uh, Twitter profile for our team and, and become, uh, impactful on the timelines of our recruits. Um, I was doing all the photo shoots for uh, for when guys came on campus. I was creating all the content that we were showing recruits when Buzz and the assistants would go in their living rooms. Um, I was trying to come up with innovative, you know, cool ways to uh, appeal to them on, the, you know, the iPad or, or uh, through their phones or, you know, um, just, you know, QR codes, anything that we could think of that had a design appeal um, or artistic side. I was trying to, you know, position myself in that, in that niche and make it mine. Um, and it, it, you know, it grew to, you know, different ops roles were obviously thrown into my bucket. Um, and obviously you stay anywhere long enough and, you know, you're going to accumulate more and more responsibility. Uh, but it really just became any and everything, uh, recruiting that can, that can make the recruiter, our program look good. Um, and a lot of that these days is centered around social media as, as almost sad as that is. Um, that's what, you know, people inherently want is they want to grow their following and they want to, um, go somewhere that's going to help them doing that, that. And with the name image likeness stuff coming soon, um, that's become more paramount than ever. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of recruiting based stuff. Um, I, I dabbled a little bit, like I tried to help, um, the coaching staff and, and the stuff that actually matters, the X's and O's stuff, uh, as much as I could, but I'm not a. I'm not an X's and O's guy. I can't see it like that. I can't evaluate talent. Um, I can't do any of those things. So really I just became like a grunt in those areas, but I, I really tried to do as much as I could um, on the recruiting, on the recruiting trail, uh, just thinking outside the box and, and, you know, contributing any way I, I could find. Got you. So talk about, you know, Buzz Williams, I know he has Buzz's bunch and that he gives back to the community, even though a lot of it isn't publicized. What are some things that people don't things know? That, well, first, Buzz's bunch is, is the coolest day of the year. Like you ask anyone who's played for him or worked for him. Um, it's just, it's just a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, we always have 50 to a hundred kids um, who come on campus and into our gym and they get to be, you know, they get to be the, the stars for the day and like our guys are rebounding for them and, and lifting them up so they can dunk. And like, they think that's the coolest thing ever. And coach Williams is interacting with each kid individually and taking a picture with them. And he knows them all by name and makes them feel like the most important people in the world. And it's like, you don't get that anywhere. Like I could, I could, and this goes back to the money thing. Like I could go work somewhere for more money, but I'm never getting that experience. And it just comes down to what you value and that, and that, that day more than anything, um, with, you know, all of those kids with special needs and, and coming together as a family and, and everyone, you know, knows when that day is going to be. It's always the first Saturday in August and everyone gets a calendar with their picture in it um, and the group photo. And, and, you know, you're invited to two games over the course of the year. And Coach Williams is writing these kids every week. Like those relationships that you can get uh, from being around uh, Coach Williams in this program is something that we can't get anywhere else. Like I, I, I just I just don't think anyone operates like that. And so. Um, that's, a, that's an extremely special part of, of working here, um, and good for a coach. Um, but I will say the thing, like most people don't know, but they do know, like they know 
about, you know, his calendar and how he's very specific about his time and he's high energy and um, they know all the surface level stuff like that, but really they don't, they don't know the stuff that goes into that. Like in order for there to be a story about like your, your calendar and how like time specific you are, your habits have to have to almost be uh, so specific and so microscopically perfect in the way that you want them um, that it's unhuman like and like just being around him I've learned how to economize my time and energy uh, tenfold like just watching him operate he's he is not wired like anyone I've ever met before um, he 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 kind of he structures every part of his day to make sure that he's getting the most out of it uh, mentally physically spiritually uh, not just for himself but for his family um, so he's you know he's doing it selflessly uh, but he's 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 all these small cogs that go into um, each individual habit he they're purposeful and he does things with such a such a level of detail it's 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 just unreal that I don't really think you can you can read about it but you can't fully know about it until you're around it every day um, and then I would say you know everyone knows he's high energy but it's it's you know it's not it's it's not just that he's high energy it's why is he high energy he's he cares more than anyone I've ever met um, like he is, he is fully emotionally, physically, uh, mentally, uh, devoted to, you know, the success of these kids and the staff. And th there's nothing that speaks to that more than, uh, he, he, you know, obviously like look at our staff, everyone, almost everyone's been with him for multiple years. Jamie's almost been with him for 10 years, Lyle, almost eight or nine, Devin, um, since he was a manager, Jamie played for him, Lyle was a GA, like I've been, I'm going on six years. Um, he, he's very, very loyal. Um, and, and you can see it like when players come back from buzzes a bunch, you can see that relationship and the authenticity that's there. Um, he's, he cares more than, than I think people realize. Uh, and that's where the energy comes from. Like he just really, really wants to see, uh, his people do well. And I think, um, you know, a lot of that can be seen in, in how fiery he is. And then a lot of that can be seen behind closed doors, you know, where he's, he's hard on us. He's hard on his staff. Uh, he doesn't, he does, he'll tell you the truth. Like he won't sugarcoat things and he'll tell you straight up, um, what you need to hear and not what necessarily what you want to hear, which can almost be, uh, handicapping you at times. Uh, so I think, you know, those two things are maybe not quite what you wanted to hear because you already knew them on this, you know, on the surface, but going behind the curtain and seeing the why behind those two things, uh, how he handles his time and what goes into that and what exactly that means. And then how he, uh, how he, um, how high energy he is and why that is. And they're both kind of, you know, connected because he is that specific with his time, because this is, this is all of our, like, look at all of our resumes and, uh, you know, we're not getting another high major job. Like if, if, if we lose this one, like, and so buzz, I think he, he sees as the leader, like this is, this is our, all of our chance to make something for our families and, and for him to give away days or give away hours would be irresponsible. So I think he is that specific with his time because he knows how many lives are at stake and how many parents have trusted him with their kids and how many, you know, people are, are in on his team and looking at him for, for wisdom and guidance. And that, that wisdom and guidance and leadership doesn't always look how, you know, doesn't look the same for everyone, but for coach, because he cares so much, and because, you know, he is so uber conscious of of his time, it looks like how you see and read about it and, and see it perceived on on SportsCenter.
Got you. So your girlfriend. Yes. Is, uh, Thank you for asking about her. Well. She's going to give me, if I didn't mention her and, I, and I've done this a couple times now, I haven't mentioned her. I get, I get a lecture and she's a coach. So she, you know, she knows all the expletives that, you know, can, can make it sting. So thank you for asking about her, but sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, so I, I want them to know one, you know, kind of how you two met and uh, how you guys make it work. You know, her being a college coach, you being a college coach, you guys aren't in the same time zone right now. Like, yeah, just so talk about that dynamic. I'll start off saying we don't talk about basketball at all because it always leads into an argument. Like we can't, we can't, uh, we're both very, very opinionated and uh, we can't delve into that same realm of basketball philosophy or anything like related to the game without it, without us butting heads. Um, so we, we learned that pretty early on. Um, we, we met, I was, uh, I, I went back to Virginia tech, as I said, and, and started off full time with coach Williams in 2016. Um, she was coming in to work for coach Kenny Brooks staff as a GA on the women's side that same summer. So we were both relatively new. Um, well, I had been there before, but I was coming back and she had, she went, she played at Lynchburg. She was, uh, she was actually a really good player. She won the best best guard uh, in the country as a senior um, on that Lynchburg team that ended up going to the NCAA tournament and winning the ODAC. Um, so she was moving right down the road to Blacksburg. Um, so we were both, you know, relatively new, so to speak, um, and coming into a new situation, new job we weren't familiar with. Uh, and we just, you know, we would pass each other on the way to the restroom and, and in passing, you know, on our way in and out of the building, um, you know, and – it just kind of happened. I will say that she uh, she reached out to me. She slid in my DMs on Twitter um, and invited me out one night. And we <laughs> we uh, ended up, you know, going to some restaurant and uh, her friends were there and my friends were there. And we were just, you know, her and I just kind of talked for an hour and a half to where the, everyone else had left. And we were just talking. And um, that's kind of how it started. She she reached, she slid in my DMs and, and not that not to say I wouldn't have slid into hers at some point. Uh, but she beat me to the punch, and uh, I met up with her, and we just <laughs> talked. And from then on, um, we had been going pretty steady. There was a there was a point where uh, I think I probably annoyed her too much, and she she uh, she had a lot going on with the season, and 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 didn't want to uh, deal with me anymore. Um, so we had a little bit of an off and on at the start, but um, since then, I mean, after that season ended, we kind of you know hit the ground running full speed, and um, we were we were obviously in Blacksburg as a couple together for that uh, second year of her GA tenure. And then she, she eventually got the job um, at Emory university in Atlanta as an assistant coach. Um, so she moved down there and we, we, you know, obviously went into long distance was, which was full of new challenges for us that, you know, I looked, I think we both looked at as uh, exciting ways to kind of test our relationship strength. And, and, um, and, you know, we've similar to, you know, any couple going into long distance, we've hit our road bumps, but we've uh, come out better from it. Um, but we, you know, we were blessed to live in a time when, you know, FaceTime and Zoom exists. And, you know, it's not like I can't call her right now and she'll answer or she can't FaceTime me. That was actually she FaceTimed me earlier. That was why that uh, that sound popped up. I don't know if you heard, but um, that, that, you know, that exists and that makes it a lot easier for, for us to kind of, you know, make it work. Um, and we both, you know, being in the same industry, understand each other's time demands and, um, I can't say enough about her support of me um, and, and, you know, understanding um, that I'm not always going to be there uh, mentally because, uh, you know, with stuff going on at work and, you, you know, you have these high stress environments with 
lots of things on the line um, that, you know, are consuming your thoughts. And uh, we're both pretty good, I think, at the give and take and when we should, you know, nudge and when we shouldn't and when we should give them their space. And I think it worked perfectly because she has an understanding of that. And, and I obviously have, you know, been around her long enough to learn her uh, thought processes and what, when she needs time and when she doesn't and when she needs some, you know, someone to talk to. And, and uh, as long as we avoid any conversation about basketball X's and O's or what works and what doesn't, uh, we'll be fine. But yeah, it's been, it's been great. I love her. And, uh, and, you know, we, we've been uh, together a little bit more than three years now. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can, uh, we can get out of long distance at some point, but um, you know, maybe not during the quarantine, maybe, maybe we'll wait till uh, after <laughs> if that works better. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. So it's funny. You said you guys don't talk X's and O's. There you, you go. do talk eggs and O's. Yeah. Talk so it's one of our breakfast. Uh, both of us are extremely passionate about food and, and specifically breakfast. That's one of the things that I think, uh, I think I, I'm obviously not, I'm not the best looking guy. My hairline's gone. So I think I had to connect with her on some level. And I think, uh, you know, breakfast was one of those things that we, we, we love to work out and then we love to get breakfast afterwards. And it just became uh, kind of a fun, we're both, she's, she's more creative than me, believe it or not. And she can draw and I can't. Um, so we're both very creative people. And I think uh, we just kind of started this project up. Uh, a few years ago where, you know, anytime we go out to brunch, we're going to take a picture um, and review it and, and it'll just be like our thing. And, and it became kind of a, a cool little deal we put on Instagram, but um, it's definitely just a passion that her and I share. Um, and I think that speaks to um, just our relationship and, and, you know, both of our interests and, and kind of the same things that, you know, we can push each other to, you know, find the next good spot and take the, you know, a little bit better of a picture that looks cooler artistically. And it just, uh, it's just another little cool project that we, we wanted to start together just to kind of, you know, grow together. Oh, that's great. So you mentioned, you know, obviously you're at Texas A&M now, uh, coach Williams left right. Virginia tech, uh, to go to A&M and you went with, was the decision to move to college station difficult? No, not, not at why, all. Why not? Don't, I wouldn't even call it the decision. Uh, I'm, I'm with coach, you know, for, for the long run. Um, so, you know, whenever, you know, we were at Virginia tech, obviously, you know, you think about um, if, and, if, and when he decides to leave, what, is, what does that mean? Um, I was always going to go as long as he was going to have me. So there was no decision. I remember um, when he, when he, when the news broke, um, he told the team, and then he was hopping on a plane maybe six hours later. And he wanted me to go on the plane with him. And I hadn't packed a single thing. Uh, I didn't know when I was going to be able to come back to Blacksburg and close down my apartment or anything. Um, and so I kind of just ran home, threw whatever I could in a suitcase. And, and, and before I could even think, like, about anything or make a decision, like, it was already made. Like, I was on my way to the airport, got on the plane with him and his family, um, we snapped a show to, we, we snapped a photo, uh, when we landed with the, uh, with the AD and, and uh, athletics, uh, department that were there on the plane with us. Um, and that, the rest was history, but there was no, there was no decision. I think it was just kind of like, he knows that I'm, uh, I'm extremely, uh, blessed to be here and love, love, love my job and love what I get to do and, um, uh, love the freedom that he gives me. Um, and, and, you know, I think part of it is just, you know, growing up, like, this is what I wanted to do. Like, this is like, I remember watching, you know, sports center and, and hard knocks and thinking like, 
how cool would it be to work in a facility like every day? Like that would just be the coolest thing ever. Like I might sleep at my like desk. Like I might sleep in the office if I could do that because I never want to leave. And now I get to do that. So like being in my dream job and, and you know, obviously Coach Williams has had such an impact on my life and who I am today. Uh, why would I ever what decision would there to be made, you know, like it's, it's, it's almost like unspoken knowledge that, you know, I'm going to be with him wherever he goes, as long as he'll have me. And not saying that I won't, uh, you know, mess up someday and he'll fire me, but as long as he, he you know, I can stay with him, I'm going to do my best to kind of add value to his, his life and his culture and his, uh, his program and, and do the best I can to, to, to earn a spot every day. Would you like to eventually become an assistant coach? No, no interest. At some um, point? Just, just, uh, I, and it goes back to, I recognize what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And like, there was a time when, if you would have asked that question, I would have probably been offended that you asked that to me. Like, like, of course I want to be an assistant. Like, why do you think I'm doing all this stuff? Like, that's how I would have taken it. And that's just how immature I was and how, how much, uh, self-awareness I lacked, um, I, I, I kind of realized uh, I was chasing this pipe dream that that wasn't for me. Like it was it was it was kind of stemmed from my insecurity. And um, and once I realized what I was good at was what I was resisting the whole time, which was the graphic design and the, uh, the recruiting stuff and the branding and the marketing piece. Um, like I said, it was just so freeing, man. And uh, ever since that day, and I remember the exact moment I was having a conversation with with a friend and it clicked and I was like, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. I've never gone back. I've never wavered from that. I've never, the itch to coach has never come back. And I always told myself, if it does, I'm in the perfect, uh, the perfect place to, to, you know, explore that because coach Williams has never um, limited me or my creative capacity or anything I, you know, you know, had desire to do. He's never, he's never put handcuffs on me or shackled me down. Um, he's always, you know, let his staff explore um, what they can do and what's in their arsenal as a, as a worker. And, so if that ever did happen, if I ever did get that itch or uh, wanted to pursue that, I, I know fully well that I, I would be allowed to explore that, but I, I have no interest. Um, I love what I'm doing. I seriously, I, I, I love, like I'm in the office right now and like, I don't want to leave, man. I, I love coming to work in the morning and, and, and getting in here and, and even on the, you know, the roughest, longest days, like I remember the, the, you know, the days where I wished I would be here and now I'm here and it's just, it's just a blessing. So you, you referenced your brother Brandon a few times, uh, and he's yep. an assistant at Texas State right Big now. Big time, Brandon Chambers. That's what um, I call him. <laughs> so if and when he does get a, a head coaching job or a you know a Power Five job, would you be tempted to join his staff? It's if funny, he, man. Uh, I thought he about made you that. an offer you I couldn't refuse. I don't know that. I don't think we could work together. Uh, he may differ. Um, our personalities are just. Uh, I think we'd be combative. I don't know that we could, uh, I don't know that our staff would function the way a healthy staff needs to function. Um, even like, even in like, like we obviously live an hour away. So we, we see each other uh, more often than we did when he was at Nevada, but even in the brief interactions that we have, and this goes back to like growing up in a sports family that's competitive. Like, it's just always a battle. Like it's just always a competition. Uh, we went to top golf uh, recently and like, he feels the need to coach me. He's a better golfer than I, like, I don't, I, I, I'm uncoordinated. So he's, he's feeling the need to like rub it in and teach me. And like, uh, let me show you like this way to do it. And that way I'm just like, nah, like 
it's just it's always like I, I'm trying to beat you, man. Like I don't need you like like trying to act like you're this like Tiger Woods golf instructor. Like I'm gonna try and win this game, and I think it would be too much of that dynamic uh, on a micro level, like in everything we did. And I just don't think it would work. I do think that he will have a ton of success. Um, and I would be lucky to work for him um, in that sense because whoever he is working for him, um, he's going to change their lives. Um, he's a he's a he's a basketball junkie like that. That guy, uh, he has all the skills that I lacked to be a coach, um, the people skills, the relationship skills. And then he sees the game in just a different way. And he can his memory is, is so crazy. He can uh, he can watch a, a play and like tell you why each of the five guys were in those spots off of just watching it once, like, and what the counter was and, and why the defense reacted that way. And, and he processes that information just so fast where I'm more of a, I need to stop it and like collect my thoughts and then, you know, write them down and then play it again and then stop it. And then where I have to go through stuff like that and be more methodical, he's a lot faster in his processing of information and, and combining his X's and O's uh, knowledge, which I think he's, he's next level. in. Um, he can, he can win, he can win favor with any crowd you put him in. Um, and I've seen it at all different levels. Uh, we went to, uh, uh, we went to a vast a variety of different, um, schools growing up, uh, from, you know, less fortunate kids to, uh, you know, more fortunate, richer kids in, in any in any environment he was in. He was the popular kid. He was the one that people looked to. Um, he could recruit anyone. So I think he has the the swagger or whatever you want to call it um, to recruit. I think he's a worker, and I think um, he's he's got the X's and O's knowledge um, and decision making abilities uh, to hire people around him who are going to enhance his program. So I do think he'll he'll be a head coach sooner rather than later. Um, I know he's. He's uh, he's running his uh, his uh, uh, podcast or video cast right now, getting all these high level coaches on there. Um, doesn't surprise me in the least. Like he's got a, an extremely uh, fruitful network. Uh, and I just think it's a matter of time before he gets a chance to, to lead his own program. But I, and, and, like, I, I just don't know, man. I, I, I've thought about that question that you asked. Uh, I don't know that we could work together like I love him, but. I'd, I'd much rather cheer for him. Like I'd much rather be in the family section, just, you know, holding up a sign that says, you know, big time Brandon Chambers on it, you know? So I know you guys have the yeah. uh, Chambers Bowl. That didn't go. Season. That didn't, that almost, that almost, this podcast is that be happening place if, next year. Uh, round two I can't remember if it was coach Jones's son, but someone missed a layup at the end. That would, I think won it for them or tied it or went to overtime. But the, if we lose that game, I'm telling you right now, coach Kaplan, I would not be on this podcast right now. I would be, I would be unemployed. He, uh, so I'll, t- I'll give you a little background um, on that. So um, we're playing Texas Southern. Um, I think it was December 30th uh, at our place. It's the first time Brandon and I have played each other. So we've never run into this issue, but it's almost like, like everyone, you know, is everyone on our staff knows I'm not going to give him all of our stuff, but like, if stuff starts going wrong, like people are going to start wondering, like, why is Brandon who like, come on, man. Like he, during the game, he's standing up and he's like making it known to coach Williams and our staff that he knows every single action that we're running. He knows every single play, all of our calls. Like he's going over the top to make sure the person in the top seat in the arena knows that. And I'm like, come on, man. Like you're going a little overboard right now. And so like he's calling out our plays as we're running them. And it's, you know, we struggled early in the year. Um, we were a lot better. I think we, if we played them in uh, February uh, versus uh, December, it would have been a different different game. 
Um, but we, uh, you know, they played us really, really tough and uh, they had a really good team. And, you know, we were down a lot of that game. And uh, I think, uh, I honestly, Coach Williams, you, you obviously saw the press conference uh, mention the Chambers Bowl. And uh, I think he joked about, like, did Josh give him all of the stuff? I think he actually asked an assistant coach, do you think Josh gave uh, during the game, like during a timeout, do you think Josh gave him the plays? And I don't know, <laughs> like, if I should be worried that, you know, um, that he said that, or if I should be flattered that he thinks I know all of our plays that I could translate it to Brandon. Um, but he did say that, and I do think it was a, a, a legitimate concern of his for a brief second. So I'm glad we won. Uh, winning trumps everything, but I don't want to play Brandon again anytime soon uh, for that reason only. That's fair. Um, you know, going back to social media and graphic design, you know, it, it does elevate a program. And how stressful can it be knowing that thousands and even millions of people are going to see the work that you do and yeah, you know, that uh, it plays a question. factor in recruiting? Uh, it's hard because, you know, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit uh, in, more insecure than most. So, like, when I put something out for the – especially, like, Aggieland is such a big alumni following and, and they have so many fans. Like, when I put something out, I know so many eyeballs are going to be on it. I want it to be perfect, um, and I want it to, you know, obviously have a reaction that uh, is positive. Um, but you're, it, it's taken me a few years to realize, like, you're never going to get that perfect reaction. Um, there's always going to be um, a group of people or person that doesn't that doesn't uh, agree with your vision or what you put out or the product that you put at hand. And that goes with any any industry and any line of work, um, coaching. Uh, I'm sure in your, I mean, I'm sure in your field. I mean, when you coach and when you you know put out these podcasts. I'm sure there's a group or a, a section of people that um, aren't fans and that's fine. Like that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you did a bad job or I did a bad job or, you know, we, we need to rethink what we're doing. Um, I think what I've learned is the important thing is um, I need to believe in, in myself and the, the content that I'm putting out. If I don't believe in it, then I'm, I'm basically just putting out stuff for likes and, and uh, to get that reaction. And it can't be based on that. And once I started kind of, uh, just really doing a deep dive into, you know, what, uh, what principles, what design principles, what recruiting, uh, elements, what, um, what things do I believe in that, you know, look, look the best or serve the best purpose or get me, get the job done in the best way. Um, what can I do work-wise that I can be proud of? And once I started producing content based on that, um, I sort of lost that, that itch or that need to check the mentions and see what people are saying. Um, obviously you want your work to be, uh, polarizing, um, because that means more exposure. Um, but I think if you're rooted in the right things in terms of the why behind why you're, uh, designing, uh, you're going to get that as a byproduct. And, and it took me a little while to realize that. And I will say like every design, this is a little designer like tidbit, but every, you know, sports designer has that moment where they misspell a word and put it in a graphic. And then, you know, it's like anxiety attack times a thousand. Um, I've had that happen and, and, you know. I've, uh, I've experienced that, um, but you almost have to, you know, you just learn from that and you take those and those make you more uh, detail oriented going forward so that that doesn't happen anymore. So I don't necessarily worry too much about it being wrong or the design not being uh, correct in its information. I really more so am just worried about whether or not I believe uh, the work that I'm putting out is representative of our program and our culture. And I think uh, if I can check yes to those things, then uh, I don't, I don't necessarily, um, care what the reaction is. I just kind of trust the process. 
Okay. This is kind of a, you know, just random question, but what's the best college basketball environment that you've been a part of as far as regular season tournament wise? Yeah, you've been yeah, around the game uh, long enough. We talk about what's the lot, best environment. Um, obviously within our staff, um, you know, we've got coaches from all different levels and have been in some cool places. Uh, I, I'll say, oh, this will be a two part answer. My favorite game ever, and we lost this game, uh, was the Sweet 16 uh, last year in coaches' final year at Virginia Tech. We played Duke uh, in Washington, D.C., Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, uh, you know, all of those players that you know that, uh, you know, some of them are in the league now and some of them will be in the league after the draft here shortly. Um, Playing them in in an arena that I grew up in, so to speak, watching the Wizards play, um, where I remember like being such a diehard Wizards fan that I would cry walking out of the arena if they lost a regular season game in, in freaking November. Um, like being in that arena and playing against that team um, with, with Zion and all these stars uh, in a packed arena with my, you know, with my mom there and my closest friends and, and family. Um, even though we lost and we lost in the most brutal fashion ever, um, that was, uh, I wouldn't trade that, that, that memory for anything. Like it was, it was, I still get shivers just thinking about it. Like it was so cool to just to be there and, and experience that with people I loved and, you know, that whole team, man, uh, I'll never forget, uh, the way, you know, we kind of responded to, you know, Justin Robinson got hurt in the middle of the year. Everyone thought our season was over and we ended up, you know, Kerry Blackshear ended up really, uh, coming into a, a new role as the guy and, and we, we rattled off some wins and got back into a position where we were lucky enough to be, I think, a four seed in the, in the tournament um, and beat some some good teams in the first two rounds out in uh, San Jose and then get a chance to come back home and play play on the big stage against, uh, you know, Goliath, so to speak. Um, we gave them a good punch, and we had beaten them earlier that year. And I don't think anyone gave us a chance, and I think we surprised a lot of people. Um, and it was just such a – it was such a – man, it was such a cool experience um, not just like Zion being, you know, who he is, you know, as a player and, you know, obviously his jumping ability, but the, you know, to have, uh, you know, that opponent in that stage and, and with the people that we had on our, our corner, that was, that was awesome. But I would say the coolest or the, the hardest environment slash coolest because of, you know, obviously how they, they treat the, um, they, their fans treat the, the, the game day experience. Uh, UVA will be hard to beat. They, uh, and obviously, like their success um, reflects that their 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 arena gets really really loud, and um, their their style of play makes it hard to hard to compete with. And then uh, this year, uh, Auburn Auburn was uh, I remember being uh, extremely extremely loud, and, and their fans being raucous. Um, we ended up winning that game, which was cool, a really cool uh, experience to kind of. Um, you know, they got ahead big early and we got this, you know, take their, their right hook and, and, and recover and respond. Um, and then Duke, you know, I grew up a Duke fan. So uh, playing in Cameron indoor uh, and sitting on, you know, I guess you could call their bench. It's really like a bleacher system um, ne- like next to their fans. Um, that was, that was just another, you know, you know, dreams come full circle. Uh, Cause you know, I was the biggest JJ Redick, uh, Sheldon Williams, Daniel Ewing, Sean Dockery, like, I love Duke basketball and I would watch every game and like just, just being there. And, and, you know, I, I played there once and they pounded us. Um, but that was, that was, uh, their, you know, their student section is obviously absurd and like, that's an, that's a unique arena. Uh, but I would say those three or four are, are in my top, um, 
top moments or top experiences as far as uh, places I've been and played? Okay, so this is a yeah, portion I, that I, I call start Devin bench Wilson's cut. And, and he said, bench, start. Or he said cut Michael Jordan. I almost like I almost told you, Coach Kaplan, I can't do this podcast, man. Like you can't be putting that out into the world. <laughs> he said, yeah, he that, said the one start, his, uh, said, start LeBron bench. Uh, I can't even remember he benched. Oh, Kobe, and then and then cut Michael Kobe. Jordan. Like, come on, man, we gotta. There's got to be some uh, some level of integrity in these in these uh, start bench cut cuts. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he's I been watching say, on Sunday. That I think he said he so was, I, I but I don't know. Based on that answer. <laughs> okay, Ooh. Whataburger. I'll in go, and out. Uh, this might upset Cookout. some Aggie land Aggie natives. I'll go uh, start uh, in and out. Uh, living in LA, it's. I would literally like plan my day around, you know, where would I pass by an in and out? Um, you got to get animal style fries though. Uh, bench cookout. I do think cookout, I think for the price and then they have a really good burger, uh, sneaky, good burger uh, and, and tons of options. And then obviously the shake um, shout out to my, my girlfriend, Sammy Goldsmith. That's, that's one of our uh, first day spots. Um, and then I'll cut Whataburger. I do think Whataburger is a little overrated. I think that their patty melts good, but everything else is, is subpar. So, uh, I don't, yeah, yeah. Very average. Very I did average. Too. And I will say, the fries are I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to crochet at Whataburger, but their management, um, at most establishments I've been at, it's, it's very, uh, very disorganized and lackluster and, and, uh, I haven't enjoyed my experiences as much as the other two. So I'll, I'll cut Whataburger and be completely fine with that decision. I know. I, Hopefully, I, they'll give you hey, some cop meals hey, after listening to this. <laughs> uh, Waffle House, oh, Cracker, Cracker Barrel. You could have just slid a Waffle House. You could have just cemented them into the start. Um, they'll always be a starter for me. That's the that's that's heaven on earth right there. Um, so I'll start Waffle House, uh, and and I'm hoping Waffle House is listening to this because we got to get one of them in and College Station, um, and then uh, I'll I'll go ahead and bench. I hop. I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big, I know uh, coach Williams loves uh, cracker barrel. I'm not a big fan, um, you know, but I'm more of a simple minded guy and they got a lot going on there. There's like a gift shop and like the menus like 60,000 pages long and you can get so many different things. And I like, I like, I like I hop cause like they got pancakes. They do pancakes really well and coffee. And those are like two of my, my favorite things. So I'll I'll uh, I'll bench IHOP and I'm I'm cutting Cracker Barrel, but um, I hope Coach Williams doesn't uh, hold it against me. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So this okay, this, Michael Jordan, LeBron. I've tweeted recently, um, and it's it caught some flack with you know some people because obviously the Last Dance documentary is going on. Um, Jordan's the greatest of all time. If anyone is debating that, it's just because they're too young to to know. And I'm not saying by any means I'm old enough to know, but um, I'm starting him. Um, he's the greatest because of six and zero. The ridiculous stats that uh, you could reel off, um, not necessarily that are just rooted in his, you know, per game averages, but uh, stats that translate to winning. Uh, and and I don't. I think I think anyone who's kind of putting LeBron in that category, uh, I just I don't know, man. I don't know how you're. I don't know what you're. Uh, I wouldn't trust you. I wouldn't want to be on your team because. Uh, because he's changed teams a lot, and he's uh, 
he's uh he's changed coaches a lot so you know jordan stuck with uh stuck with phil and uh and and his his guys and i don't know if lebron's done that so that's all i'll say in jest with that so i'm obviously cutting him and then uh shout out to kobe the late kobe bryant uh may he rest in peace uh, i'll bench him but um you know if i could start to would definitely be those two um kobe was actually i was in la working for rav his last year of his career so his farewell tour and I, I remember watching uh, him score 60 against the Jazz in his last game. And if you want to talk about, like, uh, a leader or a person who, who can have an effect on millions of people, like, and I know you can you can kind of envision that with Kobe and what he did with Los Angeles, but to see, like, how these people worship him, um, this is while he was living. Uh, obviously, when, when you pass away, it becomes uh, almost, you know, legend-like. Uh, but I saw it legend-like while he was alive, and he was, you know, while he was six feet away from, you know, the Lakers fans on the court in the, you know, in the Staples Center. Um, it's, it was, it transcends, it transcends anything I've seen. I, I mean, Co- uh, I've met Jordan through Rav as well. And he's the one person I've ever met where I felt nervous. Um, like, like almost like you're about to ask a girl out to prom, but you're just like standing around this guy, like, and you, you're not going to ask him anything. Um, he was, he was a guy you could watch play horse for an hour and like, Ooh, and ah, and like people literally did that when I met him at his camp in, uh, in Northern California. Uh, but, uh, but Kobe was getting to that level. Um, and, and I saw it firsthand in Los Angeles. So I'll go, I'll go, uh, start Jordan bench Kobe and, uh, and cut LeBron. And, and if anyone has an issue with that, you can, uh, you can DM me and we can talk about it. <laughs> Oh man! Ooh, okay, last good. one. These are good, old man. school anchorman. Get these old school. I watched when I was way too young, um, and I didn't fully understand all the jokes. And then I rewatched, and it's obviously it's a classic. It's 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 maybe a top ten comedy of all time. Um, Hangover. That was a little bit more. I was probably the right age to watch that. And then um, Anchorman. Anchorman. I, just because I watched it with my dad, and this hits close to home, but. I was like, I was rolling the whole time. And, and so was he, so that I'll start anchor man. Um, I'll bench old school. Cause I do. Res- I, it's a hilarious movie, but I was too young to appreciate it when I originally watched it. So I'm almost like holding that against it. And then I'll cut, um, I'll cut a uh, hangover. Um, even though like, that's obviously you can't go wrong with any, either of those three, but I'll cut hangover. Okay. Three guests. Who are three guests oh, I should have on the podcast? I wish I could. I wish I could name more than three. Uh, I would say I mentioned him in this in this already. I think one of the best. We and him and I have talked about having a podcast together. I think he'd be really good for any podcast in any genre um, of any industry. Uh, Jamie McNeely, he's the associate head coach here at Texas A and um, He's just such a deep level thinker. Like the amount of uh, knowledge and wisdom that he's retained over the years, it's it's extraordinary um, and. Uh, you know, he's, he's known on staff as the guy that can argue with anyone. And I've never seen him lose an argument. And now part of that is, is he, you know, he's very stubborn, but another part of that is he just backs it up with facts. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all of his, 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 uh, opinions, but he is very, very smart and would be great for any podcast. In my opinion, if you want to, if you want a guy who's going to bring, uh, some real, you know, authentic conversation, um, Dylan Thompson, uh, is with the Lions um, as, uh, on staff there, uh, works under P- Matt Patricia um, as a player personnel guy. He'll be an NFL GM soon. Um, he's, he's, he's 
as maybe the most genuine person uh, I've come across in my, in my short career. Um, he's, you may have worked camp with him. I can't remember. Um, he worked a couple of those Virginia tech camps. Um, and then, uh, he'd be really good. Um, and, and the last one I'll say is cause I know how much of a worker he is. Uh, Gabe Miller is at Loras college. I, I think for sure you work with him. Um, the men's basketball. Yeah, man. I will I, say that. The best camp staff I've ever been a part of. I got and I you got assembled that man. You I were think the I just, uh, like, Jerry said yes to anyone who would reach out. It was my first year running camp, so I was like, just give me as many people as I can get, and then that way, if anything goes wrong, at least I know I have the manpower to correct it. Uh, but I did. We got yeah. We had so many different. Uh, you know, I talked about Buzz having Hall of Famers on his staff. I really think we had we had a couple guys with bright features. Obviously, you, um, Gabe, Dylan Thompson, uh, Mike Kosich, I think was on that staff as well. Um, Hayden Hatfield, like there's so many guys that I still connect with um, that I know I'm forgetting some, but uh, Alex Churchill. You had Sean Ames, you had Alex Church. Yeah, Nigel yeah you did. I remember. And I had bronchitis. Uh, bring some Gatorades, uh, to the to the dorm. So I brought him over and and you texted me on the way. You said, just bring two because I'm going <laughs> to chug the first one. And so sure enough, I, I brought two and you did chug that. You know, I saw how much you were struggling, but you uh, – you battled it out the next day and, uh, and we got through it. And like, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for all you guys who helped us work camp because I was a fish out of water, man. I have no business running a, a large operation like that. Um, and, and I had no idea what I was doing and it helped to have like guys like you and Dylan and Mike and, and Alex and, and Gabe and, and all of these like guys with so much leadership potential and, and who could, who I could trust. Uh, it just made it that much uh, easier for me to get through that, and, and obviously we've done several camps since then, and most of those guys have come back, and it's been awesome to see them grow in their roles. And Dylan was, I think, he pl- he played in the NFL for uh, he played he played at South Carolina, and then went on to play for the 49ers for a little bit, um, and he was just getting out of the NFL at that point, and yet since after that he went and worked at a, I think it was uh, College of Charleston. I uh, could be wrong though. And then he went and now he's with the lions uh, up in Detroit. And then, uh, and then Gabe Miller um, at Loras, I mentioned, uh, I think he's an outlier in terms of how he works. Uh, I don't think he, he gives too much time away to his social life. Um, I love the relationship that he has with his wife and uh, uh, his child. And I, and I, I kind of, you know, look up to him as a role model of someone, you know, he's a little bit older than me, but um someone I, I kind of, you know, want to follow that same track as far as a worker and a learner and uh, how he handles his relationships. And I can call him anytime and I know he's going to get back to me and tell me the truth. Uh, but he'd be really good to, to have on a, uh, your podcast, in my opinion, um, to sh- just to give you, you know, the viewers an insight to, you know, what hard work really is. And for someone uh, as passionate as him, um, you know, in a, in a field that doesn't necessarily pay as much as, you know, he deserves, um, I think it, there's, there's a lot to be learned by that level of commitment, um, and that, and that level of, uh, of constant learning, um, that he's, you know, he's, he's kind of turned himself into a student all the time and, um, just being around him has been, has been so beneficial for me. So I, I'd say those are the three, Jamie, Dylan, and Gabe, but there's a long list that, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of guys that have helped me get to where I am and, and I've learned from. What advice? Okay, what do advice I have do you have for on, our listeners? For our listeners, uh, this is something I've learned recently. Focus on systems, not goals. Um, 
So I read it in a, in a book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. Um, but everyone has the same goals. Um, so, so if you want to, you know, relate it to basketball, um, every team wants to win the championship per se. Um, so every team is working toward the same and a mission. Um, so you're not, you're not necessarily when you set a goal as lofty as it may be, you're not separating yourself from everyone else with that same goal. So really you shouldn't focus too much. There's nothing wrong with goal setting. I think it's healthy and it helps. Um, but you should focus on the system that you have in place to reach that goal more so than the goal itself. So let's say the goal is to clean my room, uh, or keep my room clean, uh, for my mom when I'm 16 years old and living in, you know, and going to high school. Well, if I, if my goal is to keep the room clean, well, that doesn't change any of my habits. Like I'm still going to leave my dirty laundry everywhere and eat food and leave my cups on my desk. And it's going to become a zoo at some point. But if I focus on a system where every time I take off a piece of clothing to change, I'm putting it in my hamper. And that's, that's one of the cogs of the system. And every time that I bring a cup into the room, I have to take the cup out of the room. That's another cog of the system. Um, and every time I wake up in the morning, I have to make my bed. Uh, those are all different pieces of a small or a larger um, operating system. Uh, if I stick to those uh, sort of micro rules, uh, then I'll reach that goal. But if I'm just thinking uh, my goal is to keep my room clean, I'm going to do that. Well, then you're going you're gonna to lose a lot of water through the cracks and it's not necessarily going to go as well as it could be if you're honing in on the detailed oriented stuff that'll, uh, that'll actually, um, that'll actually win games or do whatever you're trying to do in your life, whether it be keep your room cleaner or, or, uh, you know, advance as a, as a learner or worker, whatever the case may be. Um, and then another quote that kind of I'd add into that is, uh, kind of based off of, um, habits. Uh, we don't control our future. We control our habits, which control our future. So as much as, you know, I want to do things in the future. I can't flip a switch and make that happen. I can only, I can only control what I can do in this very second. And then, uh, and then as I do that over time, it'll compound and that will lead to a residual effect in my future that is hopefully uh, beneficial toward where I'm trying to go. But there's no, there's no, like, there's no secret pill or magic button that makes your future change. Uh, but there is, it's almost like an oxymoron. There is kind of, it's called, your habits and what you're doing every day. Um, and, you know, in a, in a, in a world where we want everything right now, we sometimes forget that. Uh, but you can get everything you want. It just, you just have to focus in on, on what you're doing uh, in the moment. That's terrific. Um, how can listeners get in touch uh, perfect. with you? Yeah, you can, social um, media handles. If they you can add me on social out. media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, now TikTok, I'm on TikTok now. They're all by at, at by Josh Chambers, B Y J O S H, Chambers, C H A M B E R S. Uh, no cat, all lowercase. Not sure if that matters, but um, and then uh, my number, uh, if you want to text or call, uh, if you you know have questions about anything or need help or guidance on anything I said, uh, I'm not saying I can help with any of that, but I'll do my best. It's five seven one two nine four one seven three zero um and and my email uh if you wanted to send a nicer longer winded note or anything uh you need to get in touch with me for anything email related is chambers at tamu.edu but um either of those will work 
Um, but yeah, just uh, follow me on TikTok. I'm trying to I'm trying to get into the, the craze. Um, it's, a, it's a very creative app that I'm trying to trying to grow my following a little bit. So I appreciate you having me on, Coach Kaplan. It's no problem, man. That's the one platform I can't get myself to be on. Now, with that being said, in two weeks, yeah, it's unique, man. I, I'll online, say, you don't you'll probably see me add you on there. Like a little bit of a TikTok <laughs> plug, but for creatives like me, it's uh, it's imagine millions and millions of people who are itching to be creative, and they get this canvas where they can do whatever their mind kind of wants, and you get the best of the best of the best content all streamlined to your phone, and so like I can watch that and consume that for for hours because it's almost like it's almost like watching the NBA all-star game. Like you get to see the, these guys that are the best in the world and you get directly to your phone and they're doing like all types of entertaining stuff. And so it's, it's, they've created a, a, a niche for themselves and I think they're here to stay. And I, you know, vine was similar, but, and everyone's going to make the comparison, but vine really constrained you and TikTok doesn't do that. TikTok, it, uh, it almost enhances our creative ability as people who, you know, as someone who wants to consider themselves a creative, it's it's really cool for me to be able to uh, explore that and kind of express myself. And, and you know, I, I used to be very anti-social media, but now the more I'm, you know, coming in, in tune with my creative side, like, that's the future, man. And that's how, you know, people can express themselves and really find out, you know, what they uh, what their passions are and what they believe in is by uh, having those discussions and, and posting that content and getting feedback. And I think I think TikTok's just another avenue that that, that happens on. So I'm all for it. Coach, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. I'm honored to call you a friend. I appreciate you, man. I, I look forward to following the Aggies this coming season. Help you, you know, you, you have my number. Reach out anytime. All right, Coach Gavin, I appreciate it.